we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we are continuing this epic saga, this journey of enlightenment and fame and fortune, and maybe you'll get to kill something. Woo-woo! Well, again, it's maybe. That's, that's right. So last week we talked about, uh, we had our GM seminar, um, you know, some of you that got to listen to it uh, the first go around got it for absolutely free. Yes, that is a hundred and ninety nine thousand dollar seminar for nothing. <laughs> wow, I'm so glad you guys are giving me your commissions. I, I really appreciate that. Yes, uh, and Alton's getting all the commissions with that. <laughs> uh, with that said, um, because we did the GM seminar, we want to talk about how to be a player, how to game, how to join an rpg game as a player if you've never done it or if you are an experienced player you know maybe some tips and tricks and how to be awesome and better at it because let's face it you can always learn it's a game that you will never be perfect at which is why i love it so much you're always learning you're always evolving you're always uh, leveling up and let's face it that's life so and so it is it is so where do we start from here where do we go I don't know, but we have to pick a starting point. So for me, the first thing is choose your weapon, uh, which, you know, has, has a couple of different tools uh, or a couple of different meanings. The first is that you have to have the right tools to play the game. Um, and so, you know, obviously every system is a little bit different, but what are some of your guys's favorite or uh, most important player aids for the games that you play? Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I this this might sound a little uh probably a little too simple, but allow me just to throw out there physical dice, like an actual dice set that matches your game system, and one that you chose personally or that was gifted to you and has sentimental value. Because uh, even though I am a man of science, I am also a man of faith, and I utterly believe in dice mojo. Absolutely believe in <laughs> dice mojo. Uh, and you can get all sorts of dice roller apps for your mobile device, but the way that randomization or pseudo-randomization works in computers is not the way that dice work in real life. And it's just not the same. It really isn't. So I, I firmly believe in Dice Mojo, and I believe that you need to have a set or three, or in my case, 27, that are uh, distinctly yours. You know, there are many dice like these, but these are mine. You know, you got to make sure that those are your dice and they are they kind of help constitute the fate of your character and therefore are part of your character. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I agree. But the, the biggest thing, th this is the biggest difference between an app or a computer that rolls your dice. That amazing sound. <laughs> I'm sorry. There is nothing better than rolling a whole bunch of dice or even a couple dice and get it. Yeah. You know, that shaking sound, and that sound of when it hits, and whatever numbers pull up. Um, I have way too many sets of dice. I definitely have more than Krebs. Um, I, I have believe a, it. I have a fishing tackle box that is completely full of various different dice. Um, and that's not even counting all my metal sets. You uh, can fit yours in a box? Yes. <laughs> so, so for those, I mean, no one can see it, but you guys can see all my dice. Yeah, this has multiple trays in it. It's full yeah, of he dice. Has, he has a, a two-tier um, sort of mid-sized tackle box that is just for, like, small no, knickknacks. It's, it's full. Not, 
it's not two tiers. There's four trays. Oh, there are four. There are four caboodles inside, and there's a top. There's a yeah. There there's a a lid on top that opens up and exposes a, a compartment. So he probably has somewhere in the neighborhood of like what four hundred dice and five hundred dice in there. Uh, I have sixty four sets. Nice. Yeah. And then yeah, I have seven sets of metal dice. That's nice. awesome. Yeah, and and, one and then of there's Alton. Our Mistborn dice, which are awesome too. Um, oh yeah, well you yeah. know, and I, and I have a little bit of bias when it comes to dice. Um, people may not know, but uh, I do work for a local dice company here in Utah, a little place called Die Hard Dice. Um, really love dice. it. Excellent I've known, dice. known the owner of the company since literally a month or two after he started, and uh, now work for him. Uh, it's great. So. Uh, I, I definitely wholeheartedly agree. Physical game pieces for whatever game you're playing can make a dramatic difference. Not not necessarily for everybody. Do you need to have, you know, plaster walls and fully painted miniatures? Uh, but for many players, uh, you may find that you fall into the group that you really enjoy being able to physically hold and feel and hear and see what's going on. So, and, and I know this is a complete tangent. But we really need to get D6s made, where the 6 is the Dungeon Crawler logo. Oh, that'd be hot. Yeah, yeah. Arrangements can be made. I know, I know. That's why I'm <laughs> saying that. Anyways, um, so you're, we're talking about tools. What tools you need? I mean, you know, dice have been mentioned. The tool that I think that is most important when you're sitting at the table, and this is not a physical tool that you can actually have. It is within you. It is imagination. You need yeah. to have... A good, solid imagination. Now, understand that imagination, like anything else you do, takes time. You know, practice. You develop it. It gets better. It gets stronger. Same with acting. Same with riding a bike. Same with climbing, writing, drawing, whatever. It takes time and practice. But as long as you have that, which everyone does. I mean, I I know I've ran into people that say, I don't have an imagination. I'm like, well, did you ever play make-believe as a kid? You know, did you ever pretend that you rent, that the stick you held in your hand was a lightsaber or a sword? And uh, like uh, most people, are like, oh yeah, I'm like, then you're using your imagination. That's uh, right. Sorry, it's 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 innate in all of us. Uh, <laughs> but it's just something we kind of forget as we become adults. Um, yeah. So that is a very important tool when sitting at the table. Another big one that I would recommend hand in hand with that. Um, because there are often so many opportunities in which we get lost in these worlds in which we're playing. I highly recommend, no matter what game you're playing, bring a pencil and paper. Um, you'll think that you can get away with using an app or that you'll remember it in your head, but there are oftentimes situations in which the DM needs to draw something or you need to remember something in a particular arrangement and you can't type quickly enough, um, there are all kinds of opportunities in which having some of those analog tools handy are going to make a huge difference for you. Yeah, I, I, I would really like to, to challenge someone to try to draw a map uh, as a DM is describing it on your laptop. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, mean yeah, I, I know most tablets <clears throat> and there are some laptops that you can do that now with specialized equipment. Uh, you know, there's the Apple Pen and so on. So you can kind of get away with it with those type of things. Um, but even then, that still works. It's almost like paper and pen. You can write, scribble down your notes as you're going along. There is something that is lost in translation when you're trying to type it up. I know. I've, I've d tried doing that. It just doesn't work. 
Um, I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's the distraction of trying to type where you just don't pull all the details over. So having a pen, pencil, some way of writing it down for some reason changes the dynamic. Um, and, and maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe it's just me, but it also feels more realistic in the setting. I mean, especially if you're like playing Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder. Those are pretty, you know, you know that's medieval type era. They don't have computers, and it just feels so much cooler to write with a pencil and draw out the map, but that's me. Another big thing, honestly, is as you play more and more, you'll find that people being on their phones is a major distraction and a major problem that makes games boring and long. Yeah. And so by bringing some analog things, you are also able to encourage other players to be present and hopefully be able to escape your own world for a little while to join others. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I have it at, at times allowed uh, phones because you can send messages back and forth to the other players to communicate why you're planning. Like someone's moving and instead of interrupting by saying having this kind of side conversation, they can kind of text back and forth. I'm okay with that. Um, but definitely when you're like surfing the web, that's such a distraction. Yeah. Um, I know but, I have been guilty of that. There have been times where it, you know, my character is unconscious. It's been an hour now. We're still dragging through the same fight. And I've kind of just like, all right, I wonder what's going on on Facebook or something like that. Um, and if you'd like to know how to not make fights drag on forever, please refer to the last episode where we yes. gave excellent <laughs> tips on GMing. Great segue. Yeah, um, awesome, right? <laughs> so let's assume now we've we've picked out our arsenal of weapons for the evening, right? We have the tools that we want. We're getting ready to play. What are some of the other steps that you guys take to help get you ready to play? Uh, Krebs, I'm sure you've got some. Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, if I haven't already said it, I probably have. I've got a, I started up a family game with my wife and my two kids. My youngest is five, my oldest is eight. And um, surprisingly, it has, uh, you, you would think with two little kids, it would be kind of hard to get this rolling, but no, it, it went really well for the last couple of weeks. And, uh, and I think that um, over the years that I've played, where, where the player's side of the game really comes to life, is knowing your character and so to me backstory is paramount and understand because that helps you understand your character's motivations it helps you that you understand um what uh what they're afraid of what they are passionate about um if you understand your character's backstory it's no longer a sheet of paper that represents a barbarian now that's simply a dossier uh, that that tells you about stats, but really the backstory is the character. Yeah, I mean, being able to know those character uh, backgrounds and traits, the characteristics, the things that help you be the player that you are within the game itself, uh, it can always make your failures more meaningful and your successes more fun. Um, not to mention the fact that if you already know how your character acts, you're more likely to know what you're going to do when it's your turn and when it's time to make Absolutely. a decision in the story. Uh, what about for you, Dan? Well, I mean, uh, backstory is important. Uh, we kind of mentioned this in the last episode as well. You know, backstory, not only does it allow you to flesh out your character, but it also gives uh, material for your GM to be able to 
involve your character in the story. There is nothing more exciting than when you realize that what you're doing in the story has everything to do with your character. Um, those are some of the most exciting uh, times when I played is when it has involved my character. I feel totally in the game at that point. Another thing I would suggest is flaws. Um, flaws are critical yes. and important. I know a lot of people are like, what, 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 why would you want to give a flaw? Um, you know, one of my favorite superheroes is Superman. Uh, everyone hates Superman because he's perfect. That's what everyone sees. He is perfect. You know, he's indestructible. No one can really beat him. But he does have flaws. And people don't realize it. He is an alien struggling to be human. You know, he has these superpowers, but he wants to be human more than anything. He wants a normal life. He wants a girlfriend. He wants the, the house and picket fence. And he struggles with that. And that's what I love about the character is that flaw. You know, he is the he's a god pretty much, but he wants to be human. And he struggles with that. He has that struggle. So give your character a, a flaw. You know, maybe he's crippled. Um, one of the, the coolest mages that I ever read growing up was Raceland Majir from the Dragonlance series. Oh, yes. And, you know, his skin was gold. He had these hourglass eyes where he watched people die before him. Um, and he had this problem. He, he, you know, th this curse pretty much. But every one of the most powerful mages from that series had some sort of major flaw to them because it humbled them. It brought them down. But not only that, it was an opportunity, and this is why I like having flaws with characters. It's an opportunity to overcome, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, maybe it's someone that's super strong or, and dexterous, but they're not very charming. They're just this blunt brick when it comes to talking to people and yeah. offends people. Um, you know, maybe it's someone that is super intelligent, you know, uh, but he's super weak. I, I love those type of things because it creates a really unique dynamic that you need to overcome. But at the same time, when you have a flaw, you have something else that is the opposite. You know, you have a really strong strength in something. Those characters that are pretty well balanced out are boring. They're bland. And flaws, yeah. they just create an opportunity for a stronger, better character, in my opinion. You know, and a flaw doesn't even necessarily need to be a weakness. One of the things that I love um, from Edge of the Empire and Force and Destiny and Age of Rebellion is the concept of motivation and obligation, right? Things that drive us to do cool things and obligations that hold us to either character flaws or uh, vows to other people, a greater quest, a greater calling that drives our character forward. Mm -hmm. Having those things ready enables not only your GM, but the other players at the table to be able to create incidents and create motivations that enable us to continue playing through the game. And I think it's really interesting that all three of us kind of came to that same conclusion because I remember in particular when I was starting to play the game, uh, Pathfinder, you know, a decade ago, yeah. um, I I was scared of creating a character. I've never been one to really uh, go out and pretend with other people. Terrible at acting. 
you know, even as a little kid going to Disneyland and things like that, I never interacted with any of the characters because it just, it didn't really jive with me. So what are some of the tips that you guys have um, to help somebody who is unsure as to how to build that character for the first time in a, in a really meaningful way? I mean, um, it's, uh, I'm going to jump in real quick and then I'll we'll jump over to Krebs. Course, I mean, you, I mean, you brought up a great point. Let's, let's look at Anakin Skywalker. You know, one of the strongest Jedis throughout the series, but he had hubris out the wazoo. That was his flaw, let alone, you know, he had this overwhelming desire. Of he should, he's the chosen one. You know, he, he, he had this title, this mantle placed upon him, and he just struggled with that. You know, look at films, TV shows, um, even books, characters in books, they can give you great examples of those type of flaws um, to work from. And, you know, we, we talked about that again uh, last episode. You know, look at those things and kind of incorporate them in. You know, if you have a character that, I mean, even Luke, Luke made so many mistakes. He had flaws as well. You can take those characters and build upon that and say, okay, I, I, you know, that, that's, that's the amazing thing about the game is you can take, I like this about that character that flaw, I'm going to bring that over, I'm going to bring this over, and you, know, and you just bring everything over until you have this amazing character. I'll give it to Krebs. You know, um, for, for by the way, fantastic advice, Dan. I love that. Um, when, when, you're, when you're a first-time player and you're building your character for the first time, there are a few routes you could take because really... Your first time with a first character with your first character is really about developing you. Yeah. So I think it's great to jump in on a one-off where the GM has pre-made characters that you can select from if that's something that's available. If that's not something that's available, then given the setting and the mythos, choose the archetype that speaks to you most or that you identify with most right away. Don't try to play a character that is super flamboyant if you're not super flamboyant. Don't try to play a character who is super heroic if um, that isn't something that speaks to your soul, right? Um, don't don't stretch yourself as an actor and as a player on your first go-around. Instead, do the best you can to play the character that is already you because then you will adopt the good habits that good players have, like playing in character, avoiding, avoiding meta, and uh, driving the story. Uh, just to, to kind of reiterate something we said last week, keep in mind that the GM is not the one telling the story, although I often explain it that way to a lot of people who don't know what an RPG is. Um, the GM's not telling the story. The GM is uh, sort of managing the story or moderating the story and, and, and giving you a setting, but the players are the ones telling the story, or rather, they're the ones driving the story. So focus on a character that is just you in that world as you learn how to become a player. Oh, 100%. Great, great advice there. Um, and, and, and it's also important to remember that, like, you don't have to go all the way to 150% in your first session. You don't have to come with a perfect cosplay and an accent and a beard and everything else. And if that's something that you eventually want to work into, or if that is something that you want to do from day one, feel comfortable to do so. But if you are just trying to figure things out and come in for the first time, 
that's just fine. Uh, you know, choose an archetype or a trope or, you know, anything and just play into it. Some of my funnest adventures have been me playing the uh, anachronistic robot or the gangster <laughs> stuck in a different world, right? And and just being able to lean into some of those fun things that we see in, in other media that we consume. It, it creates interesting opportunities to be able to explore the mechanics of the game in a meaningful way while still focusing on having that that fun element of telling stories and, and being together with everybody else. And, and it's okay to be unique. Um, one of my favorite characters I ever played and I designed was a dwarven fighter. Yep, pretty plain <laughs> Jane. Nothing cool about him. However, the reason he was unique and cool was because his name was Cookie. He was a master chef. <laughs> and he couldn't cook anything you wanted. His armor was scale mail, but it was made out of bent spoons. His <laughs> helmet was a cooking pot. He fought with a frying pan and an axe. He had a war pig and a war chicken named Bacon and Eggs. You know, That's awesome. He was really unique and lots of fun because I played off that theme. You know, He was just a plain dwarven fighter everyone's seen a dwarven fighter but i made him unique i made him something i wanted to play and i made his you know it cost me a fortune to get all of his specialized equipment but it was worth it because it fit with the theme i wanted to keep he loved to cook he had his pig he had his chicken i had my axe in my frying pan you know and the frying pan doubled as a shield half the time and, you know, and if I lost those, my, you know, my cooking pot on my head worked as well as a weapon. <laughs> and it was great. It was lots of fun. You know, and you can do something like that. You know, take something, twist it, make it your own and have fun with it. But Dan and Krebs and anybody else wondering this question, what if I spend all that time to build a character that I really love and I die? Mm, you know what? There's a couple options. One, maybe your group is lucky enough to have enough gold to uh and, and you're close enough to a town and you can be resurrected or they have a resurrection spell or whatever or you give them a funeral you say you know this was awesome so long and create a new character that's okay um i had one friend that played in my game that i gm'd for quite a while that died so many times every game session he came to he came prepared with two to three other characters <laughs> just because he was that unlucky but he you know he just rolled with it he's like all right i got these other characters ready he let me look him over i looked him over i'm like all right i have no problems with these and we'd sit down and play and when one died he just like <sighs> he'd kind of sigh take a moment bow his head look at his dice pick up those dice dump them in a box get another set out pull out another character sheet and go you never yeah. use the same dice for a new character. Well, and one of the other things that, uh, and the reason that I bring this up funnily enough is because uh, I did get to join a new campaign last week as a player. Uh, this is, you know, only my, my ninth or 10th uh, game ever as a player campaign ever as a player. And it's the very first episode. We're all at level one. We're doing pretty well. We get to the final boss. I step into the room and the uh, the boss's alligator comes up, chomps on me, max damage, critical hit. Um, and uh, my character goes completely oh. down, right? Oh, man. 
Um, and, uh, but, but, uh, so in this particular episode, uh, we'd been doing some tarot deck reading and things like that to be able to have prophecies of what was to come. Um, and my character in particular had a number of really cool background traits and, and pieces of knowledge that she knew about her future and where she was going. And now we've hit the end of the first episode and I'm dead. (laughs) And so, you know, so we, so we turn to the, to the rest of the group and this guy who's running the the campaign for us, it's one of his first times DMing. And he is just mortified looking at me like, <laughs> like, should I take it back? Like, should I deal the damage to somebody else? And the answer was no. Like, was it's part of the game. And, and that's cool, right? And so, th- but what it did enable me to do was use that character as a platform to create a new character that could still extend that story on and be a motivating factor for my new character who's coming next week, uh, who it turns out is uh, her brother, right? That's um, awesome. And, uh, but it, gives, it gave the whole party a little more oomph in the story to motivate them to keep going, and it enabled me to try something new and cool that I hadn't done before uh, to build another character in a class that I've never played. Um, and, and so like, you don't have to view it as a negative thing. In fact, by being able to be willing to let things like that happen, you can open yourself to whole new opportunities that can both help you go farther within the campaign itself, but also be able to, you know, do better as a player and try things that you might not have tried otherwise. And, you know, um, I've, this is so interesting. I, I love this question. I've had scenarios where characters died, um, and, and it was either, you know, kind of early on in the game or late in the game. It doesn't really matter. But if if their death is apropos to the story, then let it happen. It's part of the story. Uh, when you're playing an RPG, you're, you're driving a fictional life that begets fictional death. And it's okay. Uh, it You can use that to your advantage as a storyteller. And I will tell you, hands down, in the past, when I have felt bad for my players and I either retconned something or I did a divine intervention set, step of some kind, almost every single time I have regretted it. It it it, it soiled the story. It sullied the, the sense of jeopardy. And a game is not fun without jeopardy. If you remove that by by just divinely intervening, then um, it's it's no fun anymore. But like to your original question, which is, you know, what if I build a character? I spend all this time and then it dies right away. Well, I happen to have, uh, because I do believe in, in the kinesthetic elements, the physical elements of RPG playing, uh, I have several notebooks, several loose leaf sheets of, of characters. I keep them all. And at some point in the future, I will either use them as a player or I will, I will inject them as an NPC. Uh, I even have a folder called the graveyard and it's just, it's, it's chuck full of important star Wars characters to a campaign. I ran one time and I will absolutely use them again. Yeah. One of my favorite characters I've ever played actually ended up dying in the finale of our campaign. Um, and, and That's the way to die. Oh, it's the greatest. And it's weird because I, I'm not a super 
like crazy in character player or anything like that, but it moved me. It was the weirdest thing that I've ever experienced. I felt sincerely like sad when it happened and then cathartic when the DM ultimately read me this beautiful eulogy of what happened as my character, you know, passed into the beyond and met back up with his family who had been massacred generations, but we, you know, or uh, decades before. Um, but it, it also enabled me to bring him back as a guardian character in my other campaigns because I was able to reach that self-actualization and I was able to uh, really bring that character to a logical and beautiful end. Absolutely. I'll allow the story. The, the story in an RPG is so organic and it's, and it's by design. Um, let the story live. Uh, the players are the lifeblood. The GM really is the divine entity that just kind of keeps everything on the rails. But the divine entity has to allow tragedy or there is no joy. And so you you absolutely let, let the story live, participate in it, and celebrate it no matter at which point you exit that tale. You know, and also, you know, players can also dictate when this happens. I had one player that just said, hey, you know, I'm just really not feeling this character anymore. But I want the character to somehow help the rest of the group. You know, his, his, his departure. Chickens. Yeah, his, his <laughs> departure needs to, you know, somehow trigger something. You know, there has to be a catalyst that happens because of his death. You know, and he was this gnome. His name was Bob. He had a much longer name, but everyone called him Bob. You know, and they fought this giant uh, villain. They won. They're escaping. The, the ceiling's starting to collapse. He's got this belt of giant strength. He runs up on this stone dragon, and he's holding the ceiling up long enough for everyone to escape. Oh. And mm. he knows that not, he, he, he's not escaping. He can't escape. The second he lets go of the ceiling, it will just come down. You know, and he... he, he, he got the two hands everyone's outside the cave there he's towards the entrance he knows he's doomed he reaches down with one hand as it's starting to come down slowly grabs a hold of his belt whips it off and then hucks it and says remember me as it comes crashing down and the belt lands at their feet um and that's that's something amazing that's a, a an amazing moment and everyone remembers that but at the same time it created such an amazing moment in the gameplay that, you know, there was a little bit of quarreling between players. And let's face it, it happens. Yeah. But that unified everyone at that point because it's like, wow, okay. Um, we yeah. need to do this. Stakes you know, have been raised. You know, um, it, it's kind of like that moment in Avengers where, you know, Nick Fury throws out the bloodied Captain America cards. You know, and they all then they they kick in and start doing things. So, uh, th those things are, it's okay for those things to happen. It's okay for characters to die, um, as long as it provides to the story and motivates the story. Yeah, um, as you were talking, I'm so glad you brought up Agent Coulson. My mind went to Boromir and Gandalf. Oh yeah, those are like those are two deaths, two iconic deaths that result in glorious storytelling later on and and just to put the cherry on top of this particular question if you have not yet 
watch the movie, the independent movie, The Gamer's Dorkness Rising. And uh, if you like cheesy indie films, this is great, but it's a fantastic film about role-playing games. Uh, And there is a scene I will refer to as the bard slaughter, and it is utterly hilarious. It's a lampoon, but consider this topic and watch that scene in that context. It is absolutely excellent. And I don't want to spoil that quote for anybody, but I will say (laughs) I have done exactly that thing after watching that film for the first time. I had players who were just piling up, trying to get in, couldn't figure out how to beat this boss. And I just started sending in NPCs one at a time (laughs) just from this local guild. And Oh, man, it was such a beautiful thing. But like all of these kind of nerdy cliche like references that are out there in the world, both from independent films and otherwise, they're all based in real adventures and stories that people had. Uh, and and you're going to run into all of those types of things as you really play and commit to the idea of real risk and commit to the idea that sometimes you try to swing across the chasm and miss and yeah. commit to the idea that sometimes your buddy spits on the statue because it's in character and a demon springs out of it. You know, <laughs> like all, all of these things enable us to to tell really, really amazing stories. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Now that you said you know a demon springs up because he spits on a rock, um, that just reminded me. So I, I I did something very similar to that, but it, it, so one of the the dwarven characters actually ended up, who um, was a jerk. Yeah, most of the people in the, in the group didn't really like him, and there was another dwarven cleric in the, in the group. Uh, this character ended up urinating in his god, the other dwarven cleric's god's fountain. Um, that dwarven cleric got so angry. He like, that's it. I'm done with him. I'm hitting him with my hammer. I am praying with all fervence that my God will respond in kind when I hit him. And I'm like, all right, well, roll. If you roll a critical, I want you to roll a second time. If you roll a second critical, I will allow you to do 10 times damage. And he's like, all right, game. He rolls 20. The other guy's uh-huh. starting to sweat a little bit. He rolls again, 20. And I'm like, he's like, all right. So, and, he, and he's like, okay, so I get to roll 3D, 3D10 on this. I'm like, yep. He's like, okay. And that's 10 three times 10 sided dice. That's three 10 sided dice. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, 10 times my damage. I'm like, yep. He rolls three tens. No. Yes. <laughs> it was oh. so beautiful. He did 300 points of damage. I'm like, and the poor guy only had 64 hit points. I'm like, <laughs> you just became a pile of goo at the base of this fountain. And he exploded. You are, you are dead. <laughs> and Hit his weak point for massive damage. And, and I, he's just like, you know what? I mean, everyone just busted up laughing. And he's like, I am never peeing in a fountain again. And he never did. Iconic Important death. lessons we learn. But, you know, it was, it, 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 you can never repeat something like that again. Um, and that's just how awesome it is. You can do something like that. I mean, who would ever think, yeah, someone peed in a, in a fountain. Uh, let's do something with this. Everything can be used. Yeah. So yeah. one of the other things that's really interesting about that story, uh, which was another thing that I, I bring up, that's one of my favorite things to do when I get to play, is that you can make deals like if if 
one of the things that we talked a little bit about in the last episode is the rule of cool as a DM, right? Allow your players to do the things that are cool. Well, the rule of cool also has an inverse that applies to the players, which is try to do the coolest thing whenever possible. Do the thing that's going to propel the story that seems impossible or is impossible or that is so off the wall that people don't expect it, right? Do the cool thing. And very regularly, you'll run into situations like that where somebody is playing in character, doing what they can to propel the story, and they think, oh, man, if I could just do this thing, it would be so cool. And when they speak up and ask the GM, inevitably, people around the table start to perk up and pay a little more attention and see what's about to happen. And even in situations where I'm creating characters from scratch, I'll usually reach out to the GM and ask for some special feat or ability or weapon that maybe wouldn't normally be available. Um, but as long as you can justify it with a really solid reason uh, and show how it's going to be cool and add to the story, you may be surprised how often the people around you want you to do cool things too. Yeah. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, if you don't mind, Dalton, I'd like to ask one more question. Yeah. Um, so we, we often remember all the really awesome, amazing, fun times that we've had playing these games over the last few decades. But there are also those times where the story isn't enjoyable or maybe even worse, it's frustrating um, and and anger-making. You know, it's enraging. Uh, what is your advice, uh, all of you, what is your advice for players who are feeling negative and maybe even toxic feelings during a game? How do they handle that? Yeah, so uh, one of the big things that I've always encouraged my players to do um, is, uh, if, if they aren't having fun, like say something, propose a break, Hey, you guys want to get pizza? You know, do we need, does anybody need a drink? Like, um, more often than not, when people are starting to get frustrated and things like that, it's because we're stuck. We're grinding against ourselves or against the game or against each other. Um, and in those moments, it's oftentimes the best thing possible to interrupt and order in a pizza or, or, or whatever else to help break up that moment. Um, the other big thing is, uh, work with your, work with your existing character traits and work with your DM ahead of time, uh, in situations where you can have a secret mission or a back pocket objective or power or ability to get you out of a bind. Uh, you know, you, you can often create something out of nothing. Um, and then the final piece again is just that negotiation in the moment. Remember, it is just a game. You're playing with made up gold. You're playing with made up weapons and characters and situations. And so being willing to quote unquote, give everything up to a player to help move things along or to stretch yourself in some unusual way, like it's okay. In a worst case scenario, you're going to re-roll your character. In a best case scenario, the guy who's insisting on being a slovenly jerk who holds on to all of the treasure, <laughs> all that means is when you get to the next dungeon and the dragon sees that he's holding this huge pile of loot, he's the first one to get burned to a crisp. You know, That's like, right. It's, it's okay to allow some flexibility uh, within your games. Dan, what are your thoughts on, on how players should handle frustration and anger? Well, um, you know, 
it's kind of a tough area. Um, let me explain why. If it's involving another player, um, there is nothing more infuriating than a, another player in your group that is being a jerk, is being counterproductive, um, or even worse, is just not even part uh, of a game. You know, I had a, one character or one player that designed a character. It was a bard. It was a orcish bard. And they played drums of war. However, they took this really obscure, weird power. Um, this is back in 3.5 edition. That any time that he played his drums, there was an aura of peace around those, uh, those with him. Thus meaning no one in that aura could attack unless attacked upon. And he would always play this going into battle. <laughs> so pretty much every character had to soak up massive amounts of damage before they could finally attack it was annoying it was irritating and everyone wanted to just kill this character we you know as a gm i set him aside you know everyone came to me and said hey this just isn't working this is making it so it's not fun we're halfway dead before we can even fight um yes it's creating a challenge we have to figure out how to overcome this but it just sucks it's every single fight so i set him down them, hey, this is the situation. Can we? Can, can you do something else? Can we not always play the drums where they don't? You know, they have to soak up all this damage. Eventually, you know, he's just like, no, this is my character. I'm sticking to it. I'm playing this character true to, to how I designed him. And it was just all right. Well, then, you know, unfortunately, you know, the other players are, are they're not having fun. So the options are, you either have to dro drop another character, or we're going to have to ask you to leave. Um, you know, and it's okay to ask players to leave, you know, first give them the opportunity to make a change, talk to them, but if they're unwilling, you know, sometimes it's better to let someone go. Uh, as far as being a player, it's always, always important to communicate with your GM. If someone else at the table is bugging you, talk to your GM, you know, and at that point, uh, you know, the GM can facilitate something, you know, it's also Kind of, it's okay to talk to that person to say, hey, this is what you've been doing. It's kind of been bugging me, you know, and have a good discussion with them. If you don't feel like you can do that, talk to the GM. If you talk to them and they're still kind of being ignoramuses, talk to the GM, you know, and then the GM can decide what to do at that point. Because, you know, yes, it's his game, but at the same time, it's everyone's game at the table and everyone needs to be having fun. And if someone's not having fun, then it's okay to cut people out. It's okay to change things up. Um, you know, sometimes I've had to split the parties where a certain group of people are playing on a different night than another night. I don't have time to do that anymore, so I don't know how I'd handle it now, but I have done that in the past just so I can separate those people so that everyone's having fun again. Excellent. <clears throat> yeah. If I may pipe in on my own question for just really yeah. quick. Um, yeah, I, what I love about your recounting of that story, Dan, is that First, the players. So, so my question was, how does a player deal with frustration and anger? The the one the, the emotions that they are feeling, right? Yeah. Um, in that scenario, they had a counterproductive teammate. They tried playing with that teammate in multiple sessions, and probably tried several things to work around it, and just couldn't find the workaround. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, and then when they couldn't play through it, they went to the GM for adjudication, and that's the right process. And the final thing is, um, you know, 
even even if a solution does not get found right away, right? Um, allow yourself to feel those feelings. And if those feelings reflect your character's feelings, then play in character. And there comes that point where maybe the GM doesn't have to kill the player because the other players will do it for them, right? Yeah. Or I, I mean, even as I was sitting here, I was like, how many times did someone try to sabotage his drums or something to that effect? You know, assuming that the players had that kind of knowledge, or that uh, rather the characters had that kind of knowledge. Oh, they, they no, they, they they tried throwing it down a chasm. They've tried they tried all sorts of things. Yeah. And as it rolled down, as it rolled down the cliff, they felt an era, uh, an aura of peace, but mostly because the drums were gone. No, yeah. um, yeah, it's uh, I I think I think a good GM can handle that, like you would handle that situation rather quickly and uh, in a way that promotes the story. Um, but as a player, how do you handle those feelings? Well, one, you feel them because that's going to drive and motivate you. Um, and it's also part of the story experience. If a story is only ever victory and joy, then the victory and joy becomes, um, watered down. It becomes meaningless. Um, just like you were saying earlier, let your characters have flaws. The reason for that is you don't want to be what we call a munchkin, which is an overpowered, always victorious thing that cannot be stopped because then there's no, there's no challenge. There's no uh, jeopardy. There's no obstacle to overcome. And then what's the point of role playing at that, uh, you know, in, in that situation. So role play your way through it. If that doesn't work, talk to your GM. And if that doesn't work, kill the character, maybe yeah. yours, maybe theirs, whichever one you want, but, yeah. but change the story. If, if you can change the narrative, you'll be surprised how much of an impact you can have. Uh, but this kind of, if, if I can just put the cherry on this one, this goes back to something we said last week. Players should not be trying to outplay the GM and the GM should not be trying to defeat the players as a general mode. Um, the GM is facilitating the story and the players are driving the story. No, I agree. Yeah. And one of the other things, uh, and this is an unfortunate thing, but it's something that we learn as children on the playground and as we're playing you know, uh, monopoly with our brothers and sisters. And we find out that one of them is, you know, sneaking hundred dollar bills and things like that is, uh, not every game is for every person. And Truth. maybe there are some games that you don't want to play with particular people. That doesn't mean that you should give up on the game entirely. It may just mean that, you know, you find a new GM, you find a new group to play with, or you go back into your local game store and see what else there is to see. Um, you know, have that patience with, with yourself and with the world around you. And uh, whether you're a player or a GM, sometimes removing a single player from a circle of, of people playing the same game exponentially improves the game. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, one of the things that, that, you know, I, I've thought about, and I know you guys thought about it too, from, from our last uh, episode is uh, kind of the the dynamics between dice rolling versus rules following versus you know rule zero the GM making something up on the spot. Um, uh, in in my mind, you know the rules are uh, in particular a framework to be able mm -hmm. to enable us to do cool things that we wouldn't anticipate otherwise. But uh, what are some of the interesting dynamics that you guys allow to play out uh, either, you know, within your play groups or at the tables that you run? Dan, you run with that first. Uh, well, see, every, that's, that's, that's tough. Just because every game group is different. And 
And you just kind of have to see what dynamics come up. You know, uh, like when you, you know, there's, there's been some times when I have had power players where they know all the mechanics, they know all the rules. They're, the whole point for them is to get as much loot and awesome stuff and just obliterate everything. While in the same time, you have people that want to explore, they want to navigate, they want to feel out every inch uh, of this vast dungeon or cavern that they're exploring. All the while that the power guy is wanting to charge down and just break down the next door and obliterate whatever's behind it. Sometimes, you know, you have to let the players resolve that. You know, Mm -hmm. there's nothing really as a GM you can do. You know, you can't say, hey, you, power player, you can't do that. Hey, you, guy that wants to explore every nook and cranny, you can't do that. You need to let them manage that. And, you know, and if someone comes to you to say, you know, resolve it in game. You know, your character at, you know, in the game is going to be irritated. He wants to explore. This guy keeps charging down and monsters come out and you have to stop. Confront him. Be annoyed like your character would be annoyed. You're annoyed enough to come talk to me. Your character is just as annoyed. And, and explore that in the game. More often than not, it's really interesting, the dynamics that change within a group as well as what happens. You know, I've seen groups that have, you know, become this amazing solid team. I've seen other groups where they've just kind of splintered and faltered. But you've, as a GM, you can still use that. As they're splintering and faltering, things are not happening and consequences are happening. And then suddenly they realize, holy crap, what the heck? You know, uh, not to go back to the Avengers thing, but it really works there. You know, you had all these superpower guys with all their egos and stuff like that. And it was splintering. It was faltering. Everyone thought they were better than one another. Things weren't working out well. Something happens. They you, you they unify. You know, and it's great to allow that to happen. Yeah, you know, and, and it may be as simple as man, they were supposed to go save this princess. They arrive. This princess has been sacrificed because they were bickering and quarreling this whole time. They didn't make the progress. They didn't get there in time. The princess is dead. Now they have to live with those consequences. What are those consequences? Well, now the king that just hired them is not happy that whole kingdom it is out for their heads wanting to kill them because they're putting all the blame on them just as much as the people that killed the princess you know so those are things that they now have to live with and the consequences and it kind of unifies them in, in unique ways but definitely let the players play that one out because those characters are going to be feeling very similar feelings that the player it themselves are going to be feeling. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, uh, the question was the, the original question was when, when a player wants to bend the rules or when, the, you know, oh. uh, something that, that, that comes out of like left field and you're just not sure how do we handle that? Um, Oops, I missed that part. I, no, I have okay. an answer for that too. I'll go, I'll answer after you do. Okay. Um, you know, I actually in the story that I'm playing right now, and uh, and I'm glad that my daughter doesn't listen to the podcast yet, uh, because I want to reveal my hand a little bit. Um, I am as the GM going to break some rule boundaries to do something with her character that's unique and special, and it makes her story come alive. Come alive. Um, that's perfectly acceptable to do. Alton, what you said earlier about a rule, you know, the rules of the game are more of a framework. I think 
every good RPG, any RPG worth its salt, and any good GM understands that the rules are there to help add structure to the game, but the rules themselves are not the game. Um, every every good RPG has some disclaimer or caveat that says, if these rules don't work for you, do something else. Um, like, you're supposed to break the rules when it makes sense. So if if I have a player, whether it's my eight-year-old or whether it's my wife or some of my, some of my best friends, um, or even me, the GM, uh, who has an idea for a rule breaker, if they can justify it, and if it promotes an interesting story, yet still allows jeopardy to exist, still allows flaws and failures, does not make it OP. If I can, if I can kind of weigh that out, and if I can think of some way to keep it balanced in a game sense, then I have no problem with breaking the rules. We see we see statistical rule breaking in the real world all the time. And it's what makes stories interesting. The whole idea that truth is stranger than fiction. That's this kind of stuff that shouldn't happen. The kind of stuff that we believe doesn't happen. And then suddenly it happens. And I think that needs to be allowed in an RPG where you can explore those special, unpredictable, unique scenarios. Yeah. Uh, Another big piece, and and this is, you know, partially leaning on another thing. Uh, there's there's a really great uh, improvisational idea that exists out there that um, whenever you are answering a question or resolving a situation or being asked to do something, uh, you should never just say yes or no and do that thing. Uh, you should always say yes and, no and, or yes but, no but, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and And both as a GM and as a player, that is an excellent way to be able to uh, not only mitigate some of the circumstances that you might find yourself in, but also to help continue to propel the story, especially in situations where rules might be unclear or something may not uh, exist under the framework that's been laid out at the beginning of the game. Um, In many situations, I find myself where you know, it's the critical spot in the fight. Boss has got one hit point left. Everybody else has one hit point left. And it's the last player's turn. They're going to take the shot and they miss. Critical fail, right? Um, <laughs> and and so at that point, you know, what do you do? <laughs> You're, you and your group are now in a really bad spot if you can't figure out some way to get out of it. Well, yes, I missed, but right? Something happens. My bow breaks. I miss the, the boss, but maybe I hit something on the wall. GM, what do you think? Right? Help each other and help your GM start to come to some of those, uh, some of those natural conclusions, um, by being able to bend where necessary or allow the situation to adapt to what has actually happened. Be water, my friend. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, we're almost out of time, so I'm going to make this quick. Uh, I mean, basically, great valid points. When it comes to bending the rules, breaking the rules, if it fits the story, then then allow it. However, once you allow it, that has, that has to remain constant within your game. That cannot be something that can be bent back or changed back. Uh, you know, If it's okay to be able to do XYZ, XYZ must remain constant for every player. Um, for the rest of that campaign. 
Um, you know, and if you play a continuation of that campaign as well. But make sure that it balances out, that it's not too overpowered, that it's not something insane that is beyond the sense of reality. You know, uh, you know when Bob lifted up, was able to hold the cavern, he had a belt of giant strength that allowed him to do that. It wasn't just, oh, hey, yeah, this random gnome can suddenly do this. Um, you know, but there have been times where there have been very extremely superpowered magical weapons that I have created that have been allowed in my worlds. However, there is something on the back end. There's always something that if they use them, something else will happen. I had one sword that was super extremely powerful. It did minimum three, 400 points of damage. However, if it was ever used with that ability, it was an ability that did this. If that ability was ever used, the sword immediately disappeared and reappeared somewhere else on the world to be found. And so, <laughs> yeah. So it was all, it was a one-time use. And well, so, and I and I'd and even it, change what you said a little bit to say, you know, submit uh, not necessarily submit to reality, but to submit to what is to what is feasible to the rules yeah. that you've established for yourself. Yeah. You know, and and the the thing is is, you know, if anyone found the sword, they really had to to decide, is this the time to use that ability? Is this the time? You know, because if I do, it's gone. I never have the sword again. Um, you know, so you can counterbalance things as well. You know, if this, if you know, this character looks a lot like acts and looks and is a lot like Superman. You know, maybe the world is made with a lot of kryptonite. I don't know. Um, there's, there's got to be a counterbalance. Um, that is something that I have always put in my games for every amazing ability there's always something to counter that ability um, now is it always present no but it is present and can create that so that's one thing i would say in, in those cases but it definitely has to allow the story to progress if it's something that hinders the story i would never allow that truth yeah well um i'm sure we could do another one of these uh as we will probably do another gm seminar uh because we're out of time i mean we we've we could talk forever. Uh, as you can tell, <laughs> we are always able to uh, talk about this stuff and go on and go on and go on. Um, but with that said, there's a lot of awesome things going on. Uh, there are some really cool things to talk about. Uh, for those of you that are listening to the show as it comes out, Emerald City Comic Con is going on right now. So check that out if you're in the area or even check their social media feeds to see what's going on there. Um, you know, we have Gen Con coming up in August. There is, you know, San Diego Comic Con coming up this summer in July. There's so many options for you, uh, so stay tuned. Check out what's coming on, you know, and uh, we'll continue to do sh shows like this, talking about gaming. We'll talk about pop culture and other things, and and go on and on and on because this is what we love. So, um, with that said, we're out of here. You guys are great. Remember to always be epic. And don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always.